I have not personally, when someone says, hey, are you a Christian? I never just straight up answer yes to that. I always say I'm a follower of Jesus. And sometimes that's different <laughs> than, than what a Christian is. Say hello, Internet. Hey, Internet. This is Daddy. Daddy and Seth. And Seth. We want to welcome you to the... Fox Podcast. And where are we? In Columbus, Ohio. Columbus, Ohio. Yeah. Now, Seth, is there anything you want to say... Yeah. ...to the Internet right now? Yeah. What is it? Say welcome to the show. Welcome, welcome to the show. to family. Welcome to the family? Family to... Oh, wow. Foxit.com is Fox... Fox.com is a fox set. <laughs> Fox.com, uh, something about fox.com, and then what does the fox say is the it, is the big question. So anyway, Seth, anything else you want to add? Yeah. Oh, okay. Let's hear it. Let's hear it. All right. Are you ready? Yeah. Okay. So Daddy and Mr. Tim are going to get going, okay? Yeah. Okay. Say so goodbye, everybody. Goodbye, everybody. Good night. See ya. Um, good night. Going, See ya. Going. Have a good weekend. <laughs> and and he's out. Oh, I love it. He is. He's just becoming the rock star we always knew he would be. Hi, everybody. Uh, Tim, we've got we've got so much to cover. The first thing we got to do, my friend, is I owe an apology to Mister Herbie Twelve. Okay, who left, and, and you and you texted this to me. I have not uh, I checked our reviews on iTunes, and then I got a I got a text from my friend Tim, uh, and I think there was just a frowny face uh, because so. Mister Herbie Twelve gave us a one star review and said a spoiled Endgame, and and I, I I had to think back to what I'd said and cause, cause we record these and someday they come out the same day and some days there's out several days later and I get all jumbled in my head, but I have to confess there, as I went back and thought about our conversation last episode, there was a um, fairly significant spoiler that I just kind of threw in there in, uh, in talking about the resurrection of Jesus. And so, so Mr. Herbie, and any of those similarly spoiled, I, I truly am very sorry. And, and I take this absolutely seriously because I, I fought for weeks to stay free of spoilers. And so I would have been furious with anybody who just blatantly spoiled something. And so I am so sorry that I was that man. I don't know how to make it up to you except to go watch the new Spider-Man trailer that came out today. Uh, because it, it turns out that movie is going to be a bit more interesting than we originally originally had thought but maybe i'll try not to spoil anymore so anyway i'm so sorry mr herbie 12 i really am um uh and and as you can imagine uh tim the last episode on gatekeeping engendered uh some conversation and uh we got one particularly uh nasty letter uh that i want to i want to read the the um the uh, the subject line is letter for your little show. <laughs> <laughs> Dearest Mike and Tim, your defense of the term Christianity, quote unquote, was logical and passionate, but really, is the name 
anything worth saving in this current era in the U.S. Rather than try to defend and define what the core tenets of those who claim the title, quote, Christian should be, perhaps we acknowledge that those outside of the Christian faith most often equate the term with people being the type of folks that might say, um, might, comma, say, send a picture of an ISIS beheading to a fellow American that happens to have different beliefs. Yuck. Further, quote, Christians too often fight to dictate what those outside of the faith can and can't do, while at the same time allowing for violence, greed, and institutional racism. While there are many wonderful Christians that still live out the amazing Christ-like care for the world, they sadly do not drive the definition of, quote, Christian in the U.S., Maybe we should have a conversation about abdicating the title sincerely, a Vox fan, and a part-time male model. Now, um, clearly, the, the questioner here is not very intelligent, right? I mean, that just kind of comes shining <laughs> that comes shining through uh, quite dramatically. And I, I would suspect, just based on the wording of the question, that this questioner doesn't have very good taste in movies, and is entirely too fixated on cars. That I mean, I'm just guessing. <laughs> I'm just guessing here. I'm not. I'm not really sure. I think you're um, gonna get a follow up letter now. <laughs> and we we know the questioner, hence our uh, jocularity. Is that a word? I so it so it is now. So I thought, and this first of all, it's a great question. Um, I didn't think we were defending the term Christianity. I thought what we were trying to defend in, in the last episode was the center of, of what, was, what has been commonly thought to be the core tenets of the faith that we call Christianity. In other words, I can take or leave the label. I wasn't trying to defend the label, I, um, although I, I see how you could think I was because I was saying, well, don't call yourself Christian then, call yourself something else. Um, and what I meant by that, in, in, in not being very clear, was was that I was trying to fight for the central idea that there's something very unique about this Jesus, and there's a center to our center set faith. Um, and uh, and at some point, um, it, you know, there there is some set of beliefs that and and practices that that either you do or don't do, and that's fine either way. Um, but, but right, I mean, there, you don't just get to show up at a normal club and just say, hey, I identify as whatever this club is and get to join the club, right? I mean, they're just, they, the way groups work is that there are things that separate members from non-members. And the point we were making is that what separates a center kind of focused organization is, is that it's not focused on boundaries as much as it is the, the relationship of the individual members to the center, but they're still a center, um, to be defined. And so I, I'm, I'm okay with losing the term Christianity altogether. I mean, I think, I think our friend here is absolutely correct in the sense of, uh, and, and I remember I was part of a, a community that had the word evangelical in its title. And we began to have conversations about removing that term. Um, because it's been so polluted, even more so several years later than when we had these conversations, and and obviously there there are there are people who would question the wisdom of abandoning the term a term like evangelical or Christian, let's say, uh, and they might say, well, you're just trying to water it down, or um, or let's reclaim that word, 
Um, and why give it up? It's been ours for however many thousands of years. Let's let's reclaim it. And and to to those folks, I would say, well, the primary impetus behind the Jesus movement is the pursuit of human persons, and that anything that gets in the way of the pursuit of human persons um, was by the early church. Um, uh, jettisoned with, you know, with God's sanction and the guidance of the Spirit and appeal to Old Testament scriptures. But but uh, there was a very clear declaration in Acts, we're not going to make it hard for non-Jews to come into the faith. Now, in that instance, like, it was a big deal because we were talking about circumcision as an adult male, which would be difficult. Um, we were talking <laughs> about, you know, adherence to the Mosaic law. I mean, that was a, that was a big deal. Uh, but in smaller cases, you have Paul, for instance, when he stands before the Greeks, the Ergopagus quoting Greek philosophers and poets, and when he stands before um, the the in the same you know Greek city, he stands before those at the synagogue, he's quoting the the Torah and the prophets, and so uh, there there was clearly a freedom in the early Christian movement to, according to Paul, make the gospel attractive. That doesn't mean we polish it up. It doesn't mean we market it or add Ginsu knives or free cars to it or whatever. But it does mean we seek to communicate it most effectively. And so, again, we've talked about this before. If you're in a Muslim country um, and want to gain a hearing for even the possibility of a divine Jesus, right? You, you, you don't go in there and just flagrantly disregard all of the cultural customs and traditions that govern male and female and, and so on, right? I mean, you honor those in order to have the bigger conversations. I have not personally, if when someone says, hey, are you a Christian? I never just straight up answer yes to that. I always say I'm a follower of Jesus. And sometimes that's different <laughs> than, than what a Christian is. So, so to those who say, no, no, we have to hold on to this term. First of all, Jesus didn't use it. Um, it was used by non, I think it was used three times and it was used, I think by non-believers in describing, uh, G, uh, Jesus followers. And then secondly, um, uh, the, the, the word itself, um, now carries with it. And I think this is, this is what our friend is pointing out so dramatic, dramatically carries with it so much cultural pollution that that you automatically you can't just say the word Christian uh, if you're in any way sensible. Now you have to automatically qualify it about you know eight thousand different ways before you'd let it stand. And and if it to me if it proves to be a stumbling block for people to give Jesus a hearing, then then let's kill it. Absolutely. Let let's let the political right or left have the term Christian, and uh, let that be. You know that let that just simply be let that mean people of a certain political party. Fantastic. We'll move on to something else because what what isn't effective is in in conversation with people the freight that that word carries. Now um, you just don't know. You have no idea when people hear the word Christian in America what comes to mind, and uh, that wasn't that that wasn't as true in the first century. There were prejudices, prejudices and biases against. Uh, Christians, um, there was all sorts of, of false things and slanderous things written about them. And then there were these early church sort of apologists that would counter those things. But but these days, 
because we've been hijacked by politics, I just don't, I don't see the wisdom in, me, in even using the term. So that's, I don't know. I mean, what do you think? <laughs> it's, I remember when I was working as a youth pastor, I, it's just the need, our, our need for names, our need to name things has always been kind of funny to me. Turn, like names and terms have never been that important to me, but they're very important to a lot of people. I've noticed right. and found. Right. <clears throat> but within the Christian faith, just like the, I remember talking with the kids and pulling out the local newspaper with the list of churches in the area, and they'd be like, "Here's your, here's your few Buddhist temples, you know, here's, you know, X, Y, and Z." And then it'd be Christian, and they would break it by a denomination and name and all these different things, and it just mm-hmm. adds so much more confusion. I don't even know what. And now the beliefs are even more bracketed because of social media and politics and yeah, hot button issues that are going on that yeah. I don't even, I'm not even sure what Christianity is by like a core definition in the, in this sense, like in a yeah talking to talking to folks sense. Yeah, in in, in a missional sense. Yeah. So so you know I and even within the Christian subculture, Christian now is applied to music, movies. Yeah. trinkets, <laughs> potpourri, uh, diets. I mean, the, it's lost. So, so it's been, it's been consumerized. It's been individualized. It's been politicized. It's been militarized. Um, my wife yeah, was just, my wife, weird. my wife was just listening to a, uh, very well-known political commentator and he was going on and on about his faith in Jesus and during his political show. And on the one hand, you know, as a fellow Jesus lover, I love that anytime the message of Jesus gets uh, out there. But on the other hand, I really thought that was a harmful thing because yet again, it just feeds into the cultural narrative that to be a Christian is to be X politically and whatever X is. There, there are, I have progressive friends who simply cannot imagine Jesus people um, being anti-illegal immigration or anti-immigration or anti-whatever or pro-gun or whatever. And I have conservative Christian friends that are just like, I can't imagine you being pro-abortion uh, or you know, pro-choice in your words. And, 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 and all, that that, all that that does, um, and, and not that those differences don't matter. I certainly have opinions on all of it. But, but when that stuff gets started, when it gets wedded to Jesus following, um, or Christianized or baptized, right, as, uh, as a central tenet of following Jesus, well, then you get what we have now. And the term, you know, and I'm, I'm fine. Let's get rid of the term. I always just say I'm part of the Jesus movement, or I'm a Jesus follower, or I'm a fan of Jesus of Nazareth. I never, I never say I'm a Christian uh, for that reason. So, so questioner, yes, despite your taste in movies, well done. Well done. And again, that's that's a friend of ours. So, all right. So moving on, Tim. Question number two, um, and this one, uh, this one I already resent because it is accusing me of having a, a double standard. And let me tell oh, you right really. now, let me tell you right now. Anytime I read an accusation like that, it is most always true. And so, dog on it. I just hope we can, uh, you know, I hope we can cover them up long enough that people won't notice. You know, it's uh, just like hating when people spoil things, but then spoiling them yourself. Oh, that's so true, bro. <laughs> so, my hypocrisy. I mean, I would have, I would have killed somebody who spoiled Endgame, not literally. <laughs> and then, oh and then, 
and then poor and then and then poor what's his name mr mr herbie herbie dang it i mean he's coming here for spiritual nourishment man he's, he doesn't need to be ambushed by spoilers all right so the gatekeeping episode again um so I noticed something in your most recent podcast that was interesting. I agree mostly with what you were saying, although it's definitely confusing. Great, Eric, for me. And we're, we're talking about the gatekeeping episode. Uh, I just noticed that you seem to imply that a conservative sexual ethic from the Bible is fairly central since you stated that it's better in your mind to say the Bible is just wrong than to reinterpret it. Uh, I don't remember... I I don't remember how I said that, but if that's what you heard, then I can see the double standard coming. Um, uh, because that she says, let yet you later state that it's good to use modern science to better understand the Bible and what it might mean. And you list many areas in which it is important to do so, such as creation in these areas, you might be considered progressive. And there you say, it's okay to disagree. It seemed like a little bit of a double standard, which we know isn't true at all, ever. Never. Uh, to say that it's better to throw out the whole Bible if you don't agree with the conservative sexual ethic, but it's okay to disagree and reinterpret areas where you, Mike Erie, would be called progressive. Boom! <laughs> now, I, I, didn't, I haven't re-listened to that episode, so I don't... I remember saying... S uh, something like that, but I thought I was using it as an example of something else. Like if you were to say, Hey, do you think holding a conservative sexual ethic is central to Christianity uh, as a whole? And again, we're rejecting that word. Um, I, I would say, I don't, I don't think so. I mean, I, it, it seems, it doesn't seem to be um, <clears throat> related to the resurrection or, you know, the person of Jesus or, or those sorts of things. Right. And so I would say, well, and, and, and therefore in all areas, like in all areas, I think science can help us read our Bibles better. And so um, uh, I, there are, there are, there are LGBTQ scholars who have offered interpretations of texts that I think have brought great clarity to them and have offered new insight into them. Uh, I also think there are, uh, there are instances where the texts are trying to be reinterpreted so dramatically that um, I, think, I think it's more intellectually honest by those particular people to just say they just don't like what it says <laughs> than to then to then to try to polish it up in the way that they're attempting to do so in other words i think i think there are some things that have been really compelling that have been added uh and i think there are some things that um that that seem pretty pretty thin and in those instances i think they're there because there are some incredible scholars who um who are top drawer, like non-conservative evangelicals simply saying, hey, the Bible's uniform witness seems to be this Genesis 1 and 2 sexual ethic, but we know from our experience that the Bible's wrong. And, um, and so I do think there are instances where that sort of intellectual honesty is totally okay and permissible, but that, I don't mean to say that, that that's that's all LGBTQ scholarship by any stretch of the imagination, not at all. So I'm not trying to bracket conservative sexual ethics away from the scientific, archaeological, historical questions we ask of all the other elements of our faith. Does that make sense? Yes. <laughs> 
So, so no, I, but I see, I see the, the, I see the potential double standard there, but I don't, as I think back on it, I don't think I was trying to argue that science, um, can't inform that conversation. I don't think that's true. Uh, I mean, I mean, so if like, let's say, let's say scientifically, um, there was a determinative genetic proof that, um, that there was no choice in the matter. Now, I, ha I happen to believe, based on the testimony of many of my gay friends, that they didn't choose this because of what's come from it, right? They they would and they desperately wish to be otherwise. But but suppose that science definitively says, in some way, uh, that there is a genetic component, and it's not just a disposition, but it is a, it is determinative in some way, shape, or form. Well, then I think we read. You know that's a that's an that's an area where I go back and then start re-examining presuppositions that were brought into interpretations of texts, right? Like we would do in kind of any other area. Um, so I don't know. So I'm not. So I, I hear I hear it when you when I read this. I'm like, yeah, that is a double standard. Um, but I, I I don't I don't think I was saying that we should bracket conservative sex ethics off um, differently than how we would bracket like um uh science you know creation off or noah's ark or whatever is that uh, i don't know is that clear in any way shape or form yes <laughs> uh you know <laughs> you are here for your insight and your wisdom yes oh. that's what i think that i this is an aspect of our faith that i find just fascinating like i've i've resigned to the idea now that i'm going to be in process until you know, I die and whatever that looks like happens because I, I, it's just the Bible and God in general. I've just kind of been an onion that ha every time I peel a layer off, I'm like, oh, this is cool. And then I find out that there's another layer beneath that and I peel that one off and I'm like, oh, this is kind of cool, too. And it's like it's just I, I'm constantly learning from every, you know, all these different. I'm just, you know, these there's always going to be a new scholar and there's always going to be a new argument. And right. And so I don't think that those things are. For me personally, those things don't shake my foundation. Like we were saying right. in the last one, if if someone found the tomb and Jesus was still in there, that would be a that would be a yeah. tough one to reconcile. Yeah, <laughs> but, yeah. But, but if, learning these things, I love wrestling with it and throwing it back at who I think God is or who I've learned that God is, and then reevaluating and yeah, moving forward again. And absolutely, no, absolutely. Um, and, and I and I feel like. In, in a center sort of focused community, how you hold beliefs is is almost as important, if not more so, than than what you hold. Um, and and so there's there's in Jesus, of course, if you if you don't if you don't kind of and I hate the word believe, but if you don't believe in a Jesus kind of way, then you don't believe in Jesus. Right? Yeah, I, I grew mean, up in a church where, you know, we, uh, when there was a pride parade, we went out with, you know, the, the, uh, the posters to, to combat oh. <laughs> negatively because, you know, to, to put, and I look back, I was really young at the time, didn't understand what was happening, but looking back on that now, it's like, oh my God, I'm <laughs> the posters that, that said what I don't even remember, but they were protesting, like, you know, saying that oh, they were, okay. Yeah. Oh, okay. These Christians were not saying, lining. I'm sorry. No, 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 no. It was combative. Okay. People oh, got lining it. up I on the it. streets to say you're wrong, but people were celebrating and saying no. Right. You're wrong and Yeah. 
It's just yeah. a sad. Yeah. No, it absolutely is. And so to me, you know, the question we ask is, well, what's the bigger heresy? Um, you know, uh, you, you have a false belief or you lack love. Um, and so, I don't know. It seems like the, seems like the preponderance of evidence is towards not acting loving. Um, even in your rightness, that that is a, that is a very bad thing. And, and that I think was very often behind Jesus's critique of the Pharisees. Uh, remember he actually says, listen to what they preach, but just don't do what you see them do. <laughs> and, and, you know, so there, there's some evidence that Jesus would have, uh, been considered or would have considered himself to be of that sect theologically, uh, but ran afoul of so many of the extraneous things they'd added in the oral tradition and the exclusivity with which they held their beliefs so that Jesus became, you know, it's like we, we critique those who are most like us. And um, uh, I don't know if that's true, but I just said it and I'm going to stick with it. Um, and, and that's why, you know, I can't stand bald men. I just cannot stand b- white, bald men. I just can't stand them. So anyway, great question, and and I don't even know if we if we address this or just obfuscated it further, but this next question relates to that question. This is a college student who said, uh, "This past semester, I've consistently had a difficult time trusting my understanding of Scripture when reading the Bible, particularly the New Testament. As I read, I become doubtful of my ability to understand a passage." Because I know there are aspects of the scripture, context, Greek, translation, implication with other doctrines, etc., that I don't fully understand. Realizing this, reading the Bible suddenly becomes this overwhelming chore because I feel like I need to come prepared with all those layers of scriptural knowledge before I can even read it. As someone who wants to simply know more about Jesus and the God of the Bible, this is, of course, a problem. If I have this attitude towards reading scripture, I was curious if you had any advice as to how I can change my approach to reading scripture, one that focuses on fostering deep and personal understanding of Christ without putting my level of knowledge at the center. Thank you so much for taking the time to read my question. That question. That is a great freaking question. And, and I have to be honest, I have, I have received this critique, um, my whole sort of preaching life. Because uh, I, I try to do a lot of background study and a lot of background reading, and a lot of contextual work, and, um, and and people have said, "Well, you're just discouraging people from reading their Bibles." And 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 uh, this isn't what this this young man is saying at all, but it, it's it's a downside of some of the scholarship that we're tapping into that people don't have time, right yes. or they don't have time to do it. They don't have money to buy all the books and resources and have access to them. They, they, they have real jobs and then come home to real families and don't get the luxury of sitting and studying and listening and reading other scholars. So I, I, so, so I, I agree that, um, that this, this brand of Jesus following that we're advocating um, does present a picture of the scriptures that is multi-variant um, or multi-valent. I think that's the better word. Um, it, so an onion is an example, right? There's 
there's a sense in which, and so I want to say guilty as charged, first of all, but, um, but I've also, I also believe that when people learn these things about the text, because they've been taught at a, a very life application, superficial level, it opens up the Bible to them in real ways that are actually far more compelling um, than the potential cost of, of feeling a bit overwhelmed by the recognition that, hey, there's work to do here to understand this. So, so, so with that in mind, there, there is a doctrine that was in the Reformation we've talked about called the perspicuity of the scriptures. And that I've always understood that to mean that the, the, the scriptures are generally understandable when you pick them up in their main sort of points. And this was something that Tremper said that, that lots of people had, a, had questions about, like, really? Is that, is that true, that it's, it's really that clear? And you can just pick it up and open it and... And you get the main creation, fall, redemption, restoration storyline. Okay. And, uh, and Tripper just kind of, I think he just sort of had a, uh, it wasn't even a totally central comment to what he was saying, but um, he had a line where I remember hearing that going, oh, well, that's interesting. Um, and so, so the... I, I, I'm not, I thought, and that's what I thought perspicuity of the scripture meant was just that you could pick it up and read it in English and you're fine. Um, what I, what I now understand it to have meant was that everyone should be able to read the scripture in their own language and it should not be the sole province of the priesthood in a foreign language to, to be the interpreters and the arbiters of what a text is, how it's understood and how it's read. And I think that is utterly and absolutely true. No question about it. Um, so what I want to say is, um, I want to say that, that there are parts of Scripture that are incredibly clear. Absolutely. Right? I mean, you can pick up the book of Mark, and uh, even though there are loads of questions, you get the basic outline of Jesus' life. I think there are some of Paul's letters where, where the book of Acts where the you know you're getting you're getting some great narrative straightforward stuff or in Paul I think there are sometimes Paul writes about you know I think of like Philippians um, or uh, uh, I, I think of some parts in um, in Ephesians where he's he's speaking of such beautiful beautiful love and grace of God and you're just I think you can soak that up and parts of first and second Corinthians but I also think, that it's good to have a, a pretty major humility that comes into the text that comes from realizing you're already reading something that has been translated and interpreted for you. Yeah. Uh, and, and some of the interpretations are really blatant. Um, you know, there's the, the, the classic one in the egalitarian community um, is that the ESV is very, was written by very much complementarian people, and so they translate... Phoebe, instead of being a deacon, she's a minister of the gospel. But they, when, it, when it applies to men, they use the word deacon, even though it's the same Greek word. When it's applied to a woman, she's a minister of the gospel. When it's applied to a man, it's a deacon. Um, and, uh, and so there's an interpretive gloss for you. Or um, there are two ways to prepare the Passover meal. One text says you, you shall not boil it, but roast it instead. And then a later text says, no, you can boil it. And what the NIV does is just use the word uh, um, boil, I think, for both. 
Like it fudges a little bit of the original language just to remove the seeming contradiction. Like this is what this and again, there's no major doctrine, you know, that would be concerning about this. But it's it's it, you're already receiving a translated and interpreted text. So it's not like we're we're operating from the virgin word of God. And even if we're looking at the uh, uh, the 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 Greek copies and the Hebrew manuscripts, we don't have the originals, right? We have copies and copies and copies and copies, and and that's actually a great thing because the more copies we have, the greater the probability we can reconstruct the originals. That's not a bad thing, but but it, it it's unreasonable to think that two thousand years later, written in a dramatically um, foreign language in a dramatically foreign culture that we can just pick the thing up in English and know exactly what it's talking about. I mean, we do that with no other text, right? I mean, uh, you know, we read the Caesar's account of the Gaelic Wars or Suetonius's account of the Caesars. And, and yeah, we can make sense of it. There's tons of nuance in there that, that can't be appreciated unless you do some work. So to people who say, man, I just know there's more to it. That, I don't think that should ever stop you from reading the text. I think that invites you to engage it more. And here's what I mean. If someone were just to say, okay, I feel overwhelmed by reading this thing because I know I don't know everything. Well, first of all, join the club. None of us are in that position. <laughs> we're all in the process of being formed and reformed uh, in our understanding of the text. Um, secondly, uh, there is very much to be understood and enjoyed and appreciated that is central to the faith in our English translation. So you utterly should pick them up uh, and read them. I always would start with Jesus, right? I'm, I just think we start there. And, and how you approach the Bible is that you start with, like, let's say Luke or Mark, and you write down every word or every sentence that doesn't make sense. So you're just reading it, and you're writing down the words uh, you come across the word Pharisee and you're like, what's a Pharisee? Uh, you come across the word Passover. He's attending Passover. What's that? Uh, you come across the word um, faith. Okay, well, I think I know what faith is, but, you know, is it is faith what I really think? And then you have this, you just have this generated from the text set of questions that you can begin to start working through. There are so many resources. And the Bible Project being like at the top of the list yeah, I was just going to say, I have a friend who has had, uh, you know, a hard time approaching the Bible and picking it up and, and feeling like, you know, you're not just reading something that's whatever. So there, there is an app too. There's like you're saying, there's a lot of resources. This app that he has is like a read the Bible in a day thing, but it uses the videos from the Bible project. So you get a little bit of like the Mackie or different people kind of explaining yeah. what the section is that you're about to get into, giving it context and reference points. Yep. And it's like Absolutely. a 15 minute or a half an hour a day thing that helps you learn how to read the Bible and give you the context of understanding what it is that it's saying in those specific places. And yep. there's just a lot of cool resources now that can help. Absolutely. You've got, you've got study Bibles with notes. You've got like there's a Bible background commentary written by two scholars I really like. That, that go through all of the, the, the crazy stuff and give cultural background to it. So, so I do think there are lots of resources. So on the one hand, I want to affirm about the Bible that, yes, you don't, of course you don't need to be a biblical scholar. You pick it up. You realize there's something unbelievably unique about Jesus 
and he birthed this movement in Acts called the church. And then you have these people writing to these churches. And I think there's the, the central, the central like thrust of the, the narrative of Jesus makes sense. Absolutely. Um, I, I, that doesn't mean it doesn't raise questions. It raises tons of questions, but you don't need to be a biblical scholar to pick up your Bible and benefit. I just want to keep pointing out that, that the first little bit of bedrock you hit in the scripture isn't the last bit of bedrock there is. And so sitting there saying, what's this verse mean to me can be guilt, radically guilty of some errors that warp um, some, some of the things that we, we, you know, kind of throw into the idea of following Jesus. And we just want to be careful about what those are. Um, but just because they're out there and even, I mean, and this is what's so funny. I mean, even Peter says about Paul, there are people distorting Paul's teaching, uh, even though Paul's, some of Paul's teaching is really hard to understand. So even, even the first church was looking at some of this going, okay, I'm not sure I get this. So, so, <laughs> so is it, is it clear in leading to salvation? Is it clear to leading to Jesus? Is it clear? Yes, absolutely. And, uh, it's so freaking radical that you can always learn more. And yeah. so rather than being overwhelmed, I'm inspired. And so I just want to gobble up. Now, now if I didn't have time, um, like the time that I have, I'm the most fortunate of all people to have the job that I have. Um, what I would do is I would be literally watching uh, the videos from the Bible Project, um, listening to like uh, an audible Bible in my in my car because the Bible was meant to be heard before it was meant to be read. Um, I would just focus uh, at the beginning on the Gospels, and uh, and as I began to have generate a set of questions about what the Gospels were saying, um, I would then try to find a couple of resources that would help me begin to answer those questions, and and expand that kind of circle outward. You know, I don't think you just start in Genesis. And try to plow your way through to Jesus. I think you, you, the, the Jesus is the way you enter into the whole story, and uh, and then begin to make sense of it in light of Him. And there are incredible series like the N.T. Wright has a, a Bible for everyone, so a New Testament for everyone series. They're short, uh, they're short books, um, very much written at a non-scholarly level, but but containing great scholarship. Uh, again, this Bible background commentary. Uh, by Craig Keener, and I don't know who the other editor is. I mean, that's that's one I've recommended for for years and years. Uh, sometimes Wikipedia has really really good stuff, <laughs> um, and you know, I mean, you can Google Pharisee and and see what comes up. So so uh, first of all, I'm totally sympathetic to how overwhelming it is, and I love the intellectual humility that comes from simply saying, "Listen, I'm I want to be very tentative in my understanding on some of these things until I've adequately addressed them, but I never know when I will adequately address them. So what can I actually hold firm to? Um, I, I think there are many things to firmly grab onto. Um, but I also would chalk up the fact that there are so many theological disagreements to the idea that there is ambiguity in the text in some areas. And uh, my personal opinion is that ambiguity is there on purpose. That God, if God wanted to, could have written a children's novel that was <laughs> the, the most easy to understand thing in the world. He could have written it in English. Uh, he could have had pictures. And, um, right, he could have called it Jesus Calling or something. I mean, who, who, you know, whatever. 
Uh, but he didn't do that. And the text that we have, again, because of my prior belief in a God that wants to communicate, um, I believe that the Bible was what God intended us to have. And then you have to ask all of the messy, bloody, ugly questions. Well, then why is it so messy, bloody, and ugly? Uh, why isn't it more clear? Why, uh, why do we have to do all of this work? Now, those, the, those, bro, those are the really fun questions. Because I do think there are answers there. But that doesn't mitigate the fact that there are some things that are really tough to understand and can be interpreted lots of different ways. That doesn't mean, and I would encourage my, my college friend um, to, to plow through because listen, the things that I believed and understood at the age of 20, um, some of those things have only gotten firmer and clearer. Uh, but other things have, I've not only reversed course on, but I repudiate them entirely. Yeah. Um, right. Because I, I've now come to realize, oh my goodness, there was this whole other thing I was missing, but that didn't mean it was wrong to have those opinions to begin with. It would have been wrong had I held the opinions in a way that would have then caused other people, um, you know, to stress or stumble by my insisting that you had to believe this way or you were not fully a Christian, correct? So I think there's a great intellectual humility you have. um, But to me, some of the ambiguity of the text drives me to it. And uh, and I I think they're great resources. So fire back if if that's immensely unhelpful, because I think it's a very, very important very, very important question. Uh, you want to try one more or you think that's good? Or you think we're good? That was three. That was three. And and let me tell you, man, three, three's company. It's a divine um, number. It is a divine number. All right. So my friends, we have some things cooking in the next uh, several podcasts that we are very excited to, to tell you about. So stay tuned for that. Um, we love these mailbag episodes because you guys are an amazing community and um, you're always helping to clarify. Um, and uh, so I'm just so, so glad for that. Tim, um, thanks for pu- producing and editing and, um, you know, <laughs> trying, to, trying to make sense of all of this. I'm very grateful for that. <laughs> Um, truly, and I wish people could see how handsome you look with that very full beard. I mean, like very full. And full. did you read? Did you read the article that said that? Uh, I don't know if it's all or most male beards are filthier than a dog's mouth. I have heard that. So congratulations, my friend. You're you're immunizing or inoculating your entire family. Yeah, we're um, all strong and healthy. <laughs> Oh, well, Vox community, listen, thank you, Um, Mr. What's his name? Mr. Herbie. Mr. Herbie. I keep wanting to call him Mr. Bernie. I think it was Mr. Herbie. Mr. Herbie, I'm so sorry. I'll never do that again. But um, my, my friends, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord shine his face upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his his countenance to you. And in these days, may he give you peace. Thank you, friends. Thank you.